Welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries. It's just like Friday Night Lights, except ridiculous. Book number 60, That Fatal Night. Will Ken's life be ruined in one tragic moment? Is that good? Yes. Oh, great. Well, hello, gladiators, and welcome to this, the full episode, season finale of season six. I didn't realize this was a season finale. Yeah, well, surprise, surprise. <laughs> well, do you recognize that voice, gladiators? Probably not, but there's always a chance. I'm Marissa Flaxbart. Did I say that? Nope. <laughs> well, I'm the host of the show. My name is Marissa Flaxbart. You should get that down, because I'm going to be here every time. I am joined by... William Joseph Stribling. Yeah, that's it. Will, you were on the show once before. Do you have any recollection of that of that happening? I do, because it was me and Sinead Persaud doing that's the right. episode together. And it was years ago? It must uh, have Yeah, been. well, now we're getting close. Like, this December will be four years yeah, that wow. we've been doing Sweet Valley I think Valley it was Diaries. an early one. I think it was in the first dozen maybe oh yeah it was book 11 okay wow. it was called too good to be true uh -huh, uh -huh. and too good to be true is the story of a visitor to sweet valley named suzanne devlin does right. that ring any bells yeah, the name devlin definitely rings some bells and was there something with her flirting with a teacher is that yeah. okay yeah there there was something with that that's what i remember and she tried to ruin his career by yeah. making up a story it was it was a very problematic book. This one is also a little problematic, and it makes me wonder, are they all like this, or do, am I just lucky? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think it's a little bit of both. Okay. A little bit of both. The fact that every Sweet Valley High book is a little problematic is kind of like the thesis statement of the whole podcast. Mm -hmm. You know, why is it interesting? Mm -hmm. We're here to talk about That Fatal Night. A bad title. Yeah. Do you think Why? they meant that fateful night? <laughs> you know, when I put this in my calendar, it's like at the beginning of the season, I'll like structure out, this is where every episode will fall mm -hmm. if I start on this date, mm -hmm. when I'm deciding when to start a season. And I noticed the other day that I had put that fateful night <laughs> in the calendar because my brain was like correcting. Couldn't possibly be fatal. But no one dies. So it's not a fatal night. Yes. No one dies. Our guest in uh, the last book's episode, Libby Hawker, did spoil that for everybody. So gladiators, I didn't issue a spoiler alert because it was pre-spoiled. <laughs> So, Does anyone ever die in these books? Oh, yes. Oh, really? Okay. Right. Once I noticed that the book was called That Fatal Night, which I, honestly, the whole fatal, fateful thing was like a low-level realization. Like it was not rising to consciousness that I'd been making that confusion. But I was like, oh, no, who's going to die? But then you read the back of the book and it's like, it seems like some serious stuff is going to happen, but I don't know who might die. Um, well, I mean, we can talk about the cover of the book because... <laughs> <laughs> the cover is so silly. Like, okay, if you hadn't read the book and uh, you hadn't read the back of the book, what would you think is happening on the cover? I would think that the blonde boy did something bad and he's looking off into the distance with guilt and his girlfriend, who is kind of like clawing at his clavicle, is concerned and she doesn't know the secret thing that he has done that he is responsible for he also looks like like brian wilson from the early beach boys days <laughs> i was trying to think of what he looked like a little like one yeah, of the wilson brothers yeah he has a lot of hair yes but it's short 
but it's just like but it's also long (laughs) it's short but long yeah this um this fellow is such a hunk ken matthews he is does he exist before this book yes ken matthews has been a favorite like background character of these books since the beginning he hasn't gotten a book of his own for a really long time so this Um, is a big deal for ken that he gets his own book, yeah, well, it's a that, big deal. And that this all happens to him. Oh, yeah. I mean, okay. basically, Ken's short, like, one-sentence biography, it, it's included in this book. It's, he's the star of the football team. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, got those handsome, uh, I think they pro- the, the phrase all-American probably gets used because these books love that phrase. But he's the football star. He's well-liked. He's popular. He's not all that bright, but you know, he can hold a conversation Mm -hmm. and uh, he's mostly famous for being the captain of the football team, the quarterback. Now, would you consider this book like a side plot or it doesn't really focus on the twins and I know they're the stars of the show basically. Right. So this is one of these books of which the kind of like Parade of randos is what we call it here on Sweet Valley mm-hmm. Diaries. Uh, Ken, Ken Matthews is not a rando, but the woman on the cover. Terry. Is, her name is Terry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Terry Adams? Mm. Terry... Polo? <laughs> it's not Terry Polo. Um, I'm going to find it. Okay. It is. I mean, she doesn't even show up right away. Come on, does Terry. Does on the back? Just Terry. <laughs> oh, okay, well, no wonder I can't remember what her last name is. The book doesn't care. And we, Terry, like, kind of appeared at the end of the previous book, but she's new. She's the rando. She is one of many randos that this book brings she's up. She's so random but... that she's not even the main statistician for the football team. She's the assistant right. statistician. That's her job. She's a junior. It's she is Ter- a junior. Terry Adams, by the way. You got Yay! It. Yeah. Yes, got it. Okay. So, yes, she is the statistician. She's a junior at the high school, which most of the characters in these books are. Mm-hmm. But we've never heard of her before. They're all perpetually juniors. Do you see people graduate ever? Not in Sweet Valley High. Okay. There are other series. Sweet Valley Senior Year. Got it. Sweet Valley University. But even those, like, they were written in different eras. So it's sort of confusing, mm-hmm. like... When like, was this book written? This... Well, that's actually an important question because... Um, this book was was published in November of 1989, mm. which is pretty momentous because that means... I wasn't born yet. That's right. Not what I was going to say, but thanks for reminding me of that. Um, I'm sure me and all the listeners that are, are older than me will be thrilled to hear that. Um, no, the reason is that it's about to be the 90s. Like when we return mm-hmm. for season seven of Sweet Valley Diaries, it's going to be the 90s. And does that get reflected in the books that follow this one? I don't know. Because I haven't read those books. (laughs) You've never read them? I've never read them. Oh, I thought that you read all of these as a young person. There's so many of them. Yeah. 180, (laughs) uh, Wikipedia says. Yeah. So I read 50 of them before I started the podcast. That's That's a lot lot of books, right? I thought it was a lot. Yeah. But, uh, and I read the Sweet Valley Twins books, which are like younger books. Um, But yeah, so it's November 1989. And there is actually something at the back of the hard copy of the book that I thought was so precious. It says, Sweet Valley wants to know what's your New Year's resolution? Announcing the Sweet Valley New Year's Resolution Contest. How are you planning to start the 1990s? Sweet Valley wants to know. And entering our contest is so easy. Just send us a short description of your New Year's resolution. 50 words or less. It does not take 50 words to say that you just want to kiss a boy at midnight. (laughs) 
<laughs> my New Year's resolution. Yeah, so it's like a 90s resolution, yeah. too. Um, so anyway, this is, isn't that cute? That is extremely cute. You were asking me about the structure of the books. This is one of those... It's kind of like the structure of what of these Parade of Randos books that mm-hmm. are not about the twins in any real way, in that it starts reminding the reader, these books are mostly about the Wakefield twins. Right. Because the very first thing that happens is that we have, you know, Elizabeth and Todd doing their thing mm-hmm. and Jessica and her perspective on things before we get into the fact that the book is going to be about Ken Matthews and they're at a football game because the gladiators. That was my high school mascot as well. I did not, not go to any football games, but I, I knew that we were the gladiators. Did you guys have football? Because oh, you yeah. went to like an art school. Yeah, but it was an arts magnet within a big public school. Oh, okay. So the public school, big football school. Gibbs High School, the Gibbs Gladiators. Oh, well, that makes a lot more sense than the Sweet Valley High Gladiators. What makes the valley sweet is what I want to know. Oh. I understand what makes a valley hidden, but not what makes a valley sweet. Well, we actually recently had a sort of conspiracy theory that maybe a Sweet Valley had once been Hidden Valley, but like some terrible curse had struck it and it had become sweet. Like an overgrowth of strawberry plants. And now it's a sweet oh, valley. Yuck. So I'm just thinking about the ranch dressing and the strawberries. And it's You don't dip your ugly. strawberries in ranch? I haven't tried it yet, so maybe I shouldn't You're missing knock out. it it's yet. It's savory and sweet. It's I, I don't even know what ranch flavor is. It's like buttermilk and pepper. Mm. Okay. Right? That's a lot simpler than I would have thought. Well, I don't know. That, that, I'm just That's what it looks like. <laughs> Uh, so the first chapter of this book, my head was spinning because it reads like a yearbook. Mm. Like whoever was the ghostwriter for this book was like, we got to get as many teen full names as we possibly can. We've got a who's who of Sweet Valley sports, I wrote in my notes. And then there's a party that immediately follows. So there's two big opportunities to meet way too many characters for me to understand what the hell is going on at any point like where where is this going whose story is this the point of view is constantly shifting yeah there's so many people with so much skin in this game right right well and there's an well the point of view shift is wielded really creatively in this book Mm -hmm. at a few points but i will get there um so i'm gonna read this uh this is my thing that i noted as who's who of sweet valley sports Down in the first row of bleachers, Sweet Valley High's basketball star Shelly Novak exchanged high fives with her friend Kristen Thompson, who was well on her way to a professional tennis career. John Pfeiffer, the sports photographer for the Oracle, was standing on his seat, snapping pictures of the celebration. His girlfriend, Jennifer Mitchell, was standing beside him. Sitting quietly in the middle of all the commotion, next to Shelly, was Terry Adams, a petite pretty junior who was the gladiator's assistant statistician. Her eyes closed, she hugged her clipboard tightly, a dreamy smile on her lips. That last run of Ken's was his 57th of the season. This book holds up the 57th run as if it's like a special number. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I don't know nearly enough about football to know if that is an impressive thing for High school, college, professional. We don't know how long their season is, you know? (laughs) Terry always had all the facts right at hand, especially when they concerned Ken Matthews. So Terry Adams has a big crush on Ken Matthews. Uh Terry Adams knows everything about the Gladiators football stats. And she's, like, interested. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not just that she loves Ken and so she loves football because she loves Ken, much to the book's credit. Don't you think? Yeah, she takes her job seriously. Right. Well, her job 
as a like as the like assistant a, statistician. I mean, she's a student at the school, yes. so it's like I'm sure she it's like a volunteer thing. It's like being a water boy or like writing for the school paper or the other kid, John Pfeiffer, who's a photographer, who's yeah. somehow standing on his seat. Why wasn't he down on the sidelines? Why did he have to sit in his seat? <laughs> That's a really good point. I mean, this whole book, this this the way that football is described in this chapter also struck me as both confusing and vague. And I was thinking about the fact that these books were published like all across the world, but especially in the English speaking world. Mm -hmm. And there's not, I mean, there are other countries that have football, like American football. I know there were a lot of Canadian readers, but Mm -hmm. like, I don't know what is is Australian football. No, they're more into rugby, right? Yeah. But there is something called Australian football. It's probably soccer. Well, then there's soccer, which of course the British call football, Yeah, which most of the rest of the world calls football. Yeah. In, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely dumbed down enough that I understood it as someone who doesn't really get football. It's a complicated sport. Yeah. I mean, for a sport that's just like run it down from one end to the other. There's a lot of the chaos little bits and, and the bobs, nuances yeah. of the chaos. How, how many chances do you have to go how far? Mm-hmm. And if you get that far, then you get to go a little further. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, and then you can score seven points or you can score two points mm-hmm. or you can score one point. Well, you score six and then... Oh, six right? plus one. Plus one. Or plus two. <laughs> we should have a football podcast. <laughs> we explain just, how football works to the world. We try to figure out football. But like, this is the level of understanding that um, yeah. the book conveys as well, mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So another character that gets mentioned early on is a fellow named Scott Trost. So as long as we're talking about characters in the world of Sweet Valley, let's just real quick uh-huh. do a little bit of talking about boys. Yes. Okay, so Scott Trost, I kind of think he's come up in the book before, but I'm not totally sure. How did he come up in this one? I don't remember him. Well, first of all, he's on the football team. Okay. Oh, is he the one that replaces Ken as the quarterback? He's going to replace Ken as the quarterback once events of this book unfold. Yeah, I'm bad with names. Well, that's a problem in a book like this because there's about a thousand characters. Yeah, but they also just constantly call each other by their full names. By their full names, Or by yeah. their last name, so it's, yeah. that's helpful. Later on in the book, they're like, Ken, it's me, Aaron Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's I, I'm here, Lila Fowler. No, she doesn't say that, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, Gladiators, if you don't know what this book is about, it'll all become clear when we get there, but... Uh, Start imagining what you, why you think people might be introducing themselves to Ken by their first and last name. You were saying, like, you're not good with names, and I was noticing how many names were being introduced. I was just thinking about how many characters already exist in Sweet Valley, and how ridiculous it is that, like, still more characters are being introduced. Like, this book almost feels like a big push mm-hmm. into, like, a new era of Sweet Valley, where there are going to be more yeah. characters to have stories. But, like, there are plenty of characters to have stories about already. Did Egbert exist already? Oh, yeah. Okay, because He's when he casually calls this guy Egbert in his car, it seemed like a quip, like when an Ken insult. Does. Yeah. And I'm like, is is that, like, a weird insult from the 80s? I'm not aware of like, <laughs> that's literally his last and then name. they came up later oh okay his name is 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 egbert and that made me sad for him so here's an intro to scott trost seems all right i feel like he gets painted as a villain later because he is the replacement of ken we're definitely supposed to be team ken not team scott we're supposed to mm-hmm, right like sure. empathize with, absolutely so i feel bad for scott yeah, I mean... He's just a, a pawn. The Wakefield twins feel bad for Scott, too, in a funny scene. Um, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Just a quick intro of 
Scott Trost. Elizabeth clutched Todd's hand as Ken dropped back to pass. Complete, she cried happily as Scott Trost caught the ball and scooted out of bounds, stopping the clock with 40 seconds left. So Scott's a good football guy. Elizabeth and Todd are having a great time at the game. That was a little taste of the football in this book. There's another boy who gets introduced. His name is Zach Johnson. I wrote in my notes with a question mark. Terry, she turned and saw Zach Johnson trotting over to her. Trost and trot, those are similar Mm -hmm. words. Is that that something? Is Mm -hmm. that something? I don't know. Okay. She turned and saw Zach Johnson trotting over to her, his uniform still clean. Zach was a sophomore linebacker, and a good one too. But on a team like the Gladiators, with so many talented upperclassmen, Zach spent most of his time on the bench. So Zach is inviting uh, Terry to... A party at Amy Sutton's house. So mm-hmm. Amy Sutton is on the cheerleaders. She is really gunning for Ken. And she has this whole big elaborate fantasy about how she's going to be Ken's girlfriend. But this is the first we've ever heard of Zach Johnson, I'm pretty sure. Really? Yeah. Okay. He, so, like, Terry doesn't really want to go to the party because she's, like, nervous to even be around Ken. Has right? Terry existed before this book? Only to set up this book in the briefly mm. in the last book. Okay. Uh, but wouldn't you say, like, she's so in love... With Terry. Ken. Like, she has such a big crush on Ken that she's, like, nervous to go to the party. Yes. Yes. Which is weird and also totally authentic to teenage, you know, anxiety. Yeah, totally. It's a, a thing that it seems actually fairly warranted. She's got this feeling about Ken, like, he doesn't really know I exist. Mm-hmm. My, my dream of falling in love with him or him falling in love with me is only that. And I know that it's just a fantasy. So why torture myself? Plus, the party's at Amy's house, and everybody knows that Amy's, like, kind of gunning for Ken. And if they didn't and know... And Amy's been around the block. Amy yeah. has dated everyone, apparently. And is that accurate with the yeah. previous books? Amy's just always got a new boyfriend? Yes, and Amy has this interesting quality where, like, at the end of the last book, Jessica was thinking that she was worried that Amy would kind of just want to toy around with Ken and Ken was looking for something serious. But when Amy thinks about Ken in this book, she's thinking about actually marked a particular passage. This is much later, but this is a glimpse into how she's thinking about Ken. The two of them had so much to look forward to. There were the rest of the football games. She would be out front cheering for him as he carried the team to victory after victory. And then there was college. Ken would probably go to a big university on a football scholarship, and she could go to the same school. Maybe Ken would even end up playing professional football one day. Amy wouldn't mind that one bit. She's basically like married to Ken in her daydream, and she's got their whole lives planned out. But this is what Amy does. She like falls madly in love with a boy for like five seconds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But do you remember how she is at her party? Yes, I do. I mean, she's kind of... uh really swinging for the fences with this public Ken relationship. Yeah, he walks into the party and she's like, it's the man of the hour. Just like makes out with him publicly in front of everyone. Yeah, she like, they are not even dating. Uh -uh. (laughs) She just plants a kiss full on his lips. And then like paragraphs go by and then it says, and then she breaks away from the kiss. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. They were kissing this whole time? Yeah, like was it just like lips against (laughs) lips? Like, Like no movement for like 20 seconds? And everyone's just staring at this yeah poor terry poor terry is right (laughs) and you know also poor ken because he's like what and he hears at the party this rumor that amy is basically saying that they're an item she's like 
the secreting it, right? She's like willing it into mm-hmm. an existence. She's which, definitely manifesting this relationship. Yeah. Which could probably work in a high school relationship. Yeah. Especially with someone as manipulating as Amy and as like sort of malleable as Ken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know we kind of stopped talking about boys, but there is another boy at the party that's worth talking about. Is it Skip? Yeah, it's almost like, why does he even exist in this book? <laughs> but there's this guy named Skip Harmon. Here's a funny moment, I thought. Um, Skip is Jessica's date to the dance. To the, the dance. An easy mistake to make. To they, Amy's party. They're dancing at this party. They are dancing. Let's see. I have so many notes. I wrote notes at the beginning, like, okay, Elizabeth Wakefield dating Todd Wilkins, and then quickly went, this is not worth my time writing this time. <laughs> <laughs> These things are not nearly as important as I thought they were going to be. Uh, well, they are important, but not to this book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the whole last book was all about Elizabeth dating Todd. So Ken, Todd, and Liz, are, they're just standing around, and um, Jessica comes up. To them, she's been dancing with Skip Harmon. Hi, Liz. Hi, Todd. Great party, huh? She asked. Sure is, Elizabeth agreed. Skip is a terrific dancer. You two look fabulous out there. Dancing isn't everything, Jessica said, rolling her eyes toward the ceiling. In answer to Elizabeth's quizzical look, she added, I'll tell you later. Does she ever tell her later? I don't think she does. She does tell her later, but only after like Skip has gotten worse. So whatever it is that he's done up to that point. Got it. Got um, it. I wonder right. if I made an... Uh, I wonder if I made a note about Skip 33. I put 33 exclamation point here. So they're still at the party on page 33 of this book. It's a long party. We get a description of him too. Every time he passed a mirror, he would whip out a comb, slick back his dark hair, and then smile at his reflection as if he were looking into a movie camera. To be this good looking and this talented, Skip sighed. Well, what can I say? I've been very fortunate. He goes on a whole rant about his his good fortune and his luck being talented, handsome, how it, it wasn't his his choice, nothing he earned. It, you know, such a strange <laughs> yeah. fellow, this skip. And when he asks her to dance again and she says no because she's tired, he says, can't keep up with me, huh? Skip teased her. What's the matter? Are you out of shape or something? No, but I am out of patience, Jessica replied. <laughs> she's like, she's not into it. So yeah. that's funny. But there's like nothing really comes of that. That's, mm-hmm. I there's don't, no payoff to skip in this book. Like I would call it a B story, but it's, that's, that's it. all. That's, that's the whole story. Skip sucks is, is all. Yeah. Yeah. So Winston is there with his girlfriend, Maria, and they need to go home, but they're going to have to take the bus. Oh, my God. No one takes the bus in Sweet Valley. No. And it's because Winston's car is, is in the shop or something. His VW needs new tires this time. <laughs> That's right. Good memory. Um, you're kind of a car guy. No, I don't understand how they work, but I, I you know, I you understand. Have one. Occasionally, they need new tires. <laughs> So Ken like wants to get away from the party. He seems like he's maybe a little bit more introverted than people expect him to be. Mm-hmm. But also he's like weirded out by the Amy thing. He offers to drive Winston and Maria home, kind of insists. He's basically. looking to get out of this party. Yeah. And he says he'll come back. You know, he's just going to drop him off and he'll be right back. And it'll be nice to kind of get away for a minute. Um, Terry is so feeling like shit about the whole Amy Ken thing. Like she just feels really devastated. Like, cause how could she compete with Amy Sutton for Mm -hmm. Ken Matthews? It does like they're a perfect, obvious pairing, you know? Right. So 
Winston offers somebody somehow she ends up in this car. Too. I thought it was pretty well done the way she ended up in the car. She's crying in the bathroom and talking to Elizabeth. Yeah. Probably. Meanwhile, um, Maria and Winston are arranging their ride with Ken. And uh, You're doing so good. It, I, I, <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Just so many, so many names. Well, the Elizabeth thing is actually another facet to this particular kind of framework that some of these randos books have. Mm -hmm. It's like, how are we going to get the twins involved? Jessica doesn't really have anything to do. Maybe she'll like spread a rumor or be like a way to get information around, which she is in this book. Mm -hmm. And then Elizabeth needs a job, and Elizabeth's job is always the same. It's to be the person that's going to fix everything through a phone call that happens. Got it. And also through some a scene like this, usually, where she, like... She's a good friend. Yeah, so she kind of knows Terry. Terry's been doing some stuff for the newspaper lately, I guess, and has recently made friends with Elizabeth. We didn't see any of that happen, but mm -hmm. the book tells us, so mm -hmm. we take it for granted. And then Elizabeth, you know, is stepping in and, like, helping out... Or is the person that the rando character like thinks to call for advice? It has happened many times at this point in these books. Um, and I'd call her. She sounds like she knows everyone and everything. <laughs> is comfortable talking to other people's parents. And also like understands the true subtext of everybody's emotions. I mean, she's not always like that. But in this book, when Terry eventually calls her and is like explaining what's happening with Ken and her interpretation of the story, Elizabeth is like, well, but maybe Ken feels this other way, and sh what she says is totally true. Anyway, mm -hmm. we're, we're uh, being vague, but we're going to get there. So this is actually a really important moment, because after Ken drops off Winston uh, and Maria, he goes to drop off Terry, and it's raining. It's raining so hard. Oh, my gosh. I can hardly see in front of me. And Terry's like, come inside, right? Doesn't mm -hmm. she say come inside and wait out the rainstorm? She does. She's so awkward, but mm -hmm. like they start talking about football and it's okay. I thought it was going to lead in a romantic direction. Yeah. I, I honestly, to be fair, at the party, there's a scene where, uh, this is me trying to figure out where this story's going mm -hmm. and what's happening. I didn't trust Amy for one second. So there's a, a scene where Amy offers to get Ken a drink. And I was like, she's going to roofie him. Like, there's something oh, going on here. But what does she do? She gets him juice? Is that Orange juice. She yeah. actually doesn't even... She says, he comes into the party. She says, hey, Ken, can I get you a drink? And he's like, sure. And she says, orange juice, right? As if, like, she knows that's his order. And mm -hmm. I was just like... These, I cannot believe that the juniors of Sweet Valley High are having a post-football game party at Amy Sutton's house. No parents. And she's going to serve him orange juice. Well, I mean, I love it. Well, he's depleted of his vitamin C after the game. <laughs> he needs it's to... Just, this is just not what you think of as a stereotypical, like, no, 80s but, high school but party. But the way that she, she exits the scene and we don't go with her, and then she comes back, and she's just being so manipulative, I was like, she's... She's up to no good. And then he's driving on the dangerous wet road. And I'm like, oh, the roofie's going to kick in. He's going to be drugged. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, the, the the cover of the book, the teaser makes it seem like, well, what does it say? Will Ken's life be ruined in one tragic moment? Yeah, in one tragic moment. And I guess it, it is tragic because it's totally random. And yeah. it is not... A, a cosmic or karmic punishment for anything. It's truly bad luck. 
Um, but I thought it was going to be a cautionary tale of sorts where it's like, oh, mess with the wrong people and, you know, this is what's going to happen. But no, it was just bad luck. She, she didn't do anything malicious. She's just really overplaying her, her hand trying to get this boy to date her. So fast forward back to the car. It's dark. It's wet. It's very rainy and dangerous slick roads, I suppose. And, and Ken gets in a car accident with a tree avoids a drunk driver yeah there's a drunk driver whose fault it really is ken is driving really slow and there's somebody with the uh, like headlights careening really fast like right toward him and so he swerves to avoid the drunk driver and hits a tree yeah, and they're pretty delicate with how they deal with the drunk driver i i thought it wasn't totally written off and it wasn't over the line like he wasn't belligerently drunk like he was very sad yeah. there's a mention of a breathalyzer he gets led to a cop car but it's not too explicit you're definitely left to fill in the blanks a little bit yeah and, and then later the kids are all like some drunk driver ran him off the road and he hit a tree yeah the drunk driver is like crying yeah. he's like a middle-aged man he's like oh, i can't believe this happened yeah um but th that we see all of that stuff through elizabeth and todd and jessica's eyes because they are driving home together. Jessica is like excited to get away from Skip Harmon. Yeah. And a moment happened that um, is tragic and heartbreaking, but also seemed like a real like potential kind of merch opportunity for Sweet Valley Diaries. Mm. Okay. So here's what happens. Um, they're driving in. They see an accident, right? They see this the side of this accident. It looks like a bad one. There's an ambulance, Todd said, pointing. The ambulance was pulled over next to a crumpled white car. Todd, isn't that a white Toyota? Like Ken's? Elizabeth asked. Stodd top... <laughs> Sorry. Leave it. Leave it. Leave okay. it. I'll leave it. Todd stopped the car and stared at the wreckage. The front end of the white car was crumpled like an accordion. The windshield had a gaping hole in it, and there was shattered glass everywhere. It's a Toyota, all right, Todd said. Elizabeth strained to see the back of the Toyota as they slowly passed by. Ken had two bumper stickers in his car. <laughs> That's wrong. <laughs> Ken had two bumper stickers on his car. One simply had the name of the school on it, and another said, Honk if you love the gladiators. <laughs> uh. She tried to focus on the relatively unharmed bumper, but it was difficult with all the flashing lights. She was able to make out the words. Love the gladiators. Dun dun dun. She felt her heart leap in her chest. So what do you think would be the better bumper sticker branding opportunity <laughs> for for the podcast? Is it honk if you love the gladiators or just love the gladiators? Mm, I like the I like the idea of the merch somehow representing the moment from the story where it's like half torn away. <laughs> So morbid. <laughs> it's, it's, but he survives. It's not a fatal it's night. It's not a fatal it's a night. fateful night. See, this is where celebrating the fact that Ken Matthews is alive. He's, He's alive. alive. But is it a life worth living? <laughs> Which is the, the I guess, thing That's that we explore. really the takeaway for the rest of the <laughs> rest of the book. Is his life going to be worth living or not? Okay. We're wow. back in a new location. Does Things it sound, sound different? sound real different. Oh my gosh, it's like the what ceiling happened? got lower or something. So weird. We've been displaced. Yes, but displaced to a place. But not forgotten. Displaced 
but not fun. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's a really beautiful <laughs> sentiment. Um, we just had to stop talking because it was so emotional, you know. The poor Ken. Could he be dead? No. Well, he couldn't be. We are, did already say that nobody died. <laughs> but they do. Uh, somebody does say, before we know what's going on with Ken, Ken Matthews was on his way to the hospital. He was unconscious. And from what they had seen, his chances didn't look good. They really, they really drive it home. The idea that Ken could die at any moment. He's yeah. fine, but he could also die. Yeah. But then it seems like what's actually happened is that he has... Received some bruises and scratches to his face, primarily. No other part of his body seems damaged. He is very touch and go. Mm-hmm. Can He's, I read a quote uh, that I wrote down in full Yes. <laughs> in my notes? This is something the doctor says to him once he's woken back up. Right. The the doctor says, once the swelling from the bruises and the small cuts goes down, you're going to look exactly the same as you did before. Like, as a way of consoling him. Like, don't worry. You're going to be exactly as as you were. And it it worked on me. It threw me off. I thought, oh, he's going to be fine. I did not see the... The The next twist coming. I was blindsided. Oh. (laughs) I was blindsided. Well, and is that a football reference? No, it's not. It's actually a blindness (laughs) reference. Because um, Ken has these bandages that totally are covering his face. I imagined, like, the invisible man. Yeah, it was like that, with, like, a little slit for his mouth. Mm -hmm. And, oh, I mean, immediately in the aftermath of having seen this accident, Liz, Todd, and Jess go back to Amy's party and, like, tell Amy what happened. Mm -hmm. Amy is distraught. She wants to go to the hospital right away because, like, this is her man, you know? But then they, Elizabeth is like, no one's, they're not going to let you see him. Or somebody says that. And then they resolve to go the next day. Yeah. Yeah. So Amy goes there with Jessica the next day. And also, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Matthews are there and say like, yeah, no, he can't have visitors yet because he's still in the ICU. And Jessica notices that Amy seems sort of relieved. Mm -hmm. Like all of this is like a little bit much for her. Which is understandable. I mean, they're not actually dating. Right. And her whole interest in Ken is basically this daydream that she has that's not real. What's interesting is that she never comes to the realization that she was too much and pushed him away. And, you know, poor Terry thinks she's the reason that he got in this car accident. But really, you can draw it back to Amy. Oh, yes. Amy's, I guess, overzealousness in trying to lock this man down that forced him to leave the party, which is why he got in the car accident. Right. Um, And instead, like, nobody ever connects those dots. Mm. But Amy does, like, flat out confront Terry and tell her that it is her fault. Yeah. Because if Terry hadn't... I mean, it's all... Everything that is in the accusation is not true. Like, if Terry hadn't forced him... Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that must be. It must be projecting. She doesn't know. But she actually, I think, doesn't realize that Ken wanted to leave her party. She will never realize. No. Um, but we didn't even, we, we stopped at the bandages and the invisible man. Mm-hmm. Like eventually, yeah, I guess nobody else is, no other kids are there. It's just Ken and his parents and the doctor. Mm-hmm. But eventually it's time for the bandages to come off and they all come off. And it's like, he looks exactly the same. <laughs> Great. But then what does he ask? He says something like, when are you going to take the bandages you- off my eyes? <laughs> yeah. Uh. So sad. And the doctor's like, uh-oh, we were afraid of this, but there was no way to know until we took them off your eyes. Okay, so I have not Googled this yet, but my assumption is that this would be the rarest possible outcome from a car crash. To just go blind, to be totally fine, cuts and bruises, 
but blind. Yeah, I didn't Google it either. I mean, I so since we're going to be talking for the rest of the book about Ken Matthews and his struggle with blindness, the book... I mean, I'll read some quotes. I think there are places where the book actually handles it fairly well. Mm -hmm. I just want to say, like, if we... I ever feel like we're making fun of the book. It, we're making fun of the book. The I have actually very recently um, gotten a chance to talk with some people for another um, podcast project about people who like Ken Matthews. Uh, not not in a car accident, I don't think. I don't really know the details. But they became uh, blind after having been sighted for the first part of their lives. They're awesome, normal people. Like, there's nothing... I, the, this like, book makes a funny. lot about blindness. Like, yeah. it makes a big to-do about it, and it is both warranted and also laying it on a little thick. Yeah, I, I, I mean, we'll see. I think it handles it okay, but I just want to, I guess I'm just trying to hedge my bets here just in case it comes, we come across sounding in any way callous. It's just that the book is ridiculous. Well, I, as a joke, was going to pitch you on the idea of wearing blindfolds to record this, and then, you know, 30 pages later, poor Terry comes up with that idea herself. And I was like, oh, man, this is... I think it's actually Elizabeth. <laughs> See, this is Elizabeth doing her Elizabeth oh, thing. Oh, right. She plants so, the seed of the idea. So, basically, after Ken is blind, uh, Jessica and Elizabeth go to visit him. What page does he become blind on? I was trying um, to track the structure okay. of this story. It's right, it's right around page 59 because I okay. did... I marked this down. Pretty deep in there for the premise to take shape at page 59. Yeah, it's like two-thirds of the... This book is 150 pages long. Yeah. Okay, this is just before the band had just come off. I thought this was kind of funny. Ken breathed a sigh of relief as the gauze was removed and he could actually feel the air on his head again. He raised his hand to the top of his head. Whoa, he said with half a laugh. Where's my hair? We had to shave it, Dr. Arquette explained, in order to treat some of the cuts and to take some x-rays. Don't worry, it'll grow back in a few weeks. That's good, Ken grinned. I'm gonna look pretty scary on the football field, right, Dad? You always do, Mr. Matthews replied, especially with that arm of yours. How fast does hair grow in I don't Valley? know, but I thought that was such a funny, like, dad comment. You always do look scary, son. You always do. But the dad knows. that You assume the doctor has told the dad, like, yeah, your kid is Yeah, the parents' blind reaction suggests to me that they already knew. So there, he's overcompensating with, with a joke. Like, with a dad yeah. joke. Okay. So, not long after that, Jessica and Elizabeth come by and Ken momentarily thinks about, like, pretending that he can see still. Like, mm -hmm. he doesn't want to deal with it. And they've brought him a card that has, like, everybody in the in the school basically signed it. And they're like, read the poem. And he's like, I'm blind. <laughs> he, just, he just blurts it out. But I do love that we get a little bit of his thought process. He considers saying, oh, I have a headache. Can you read it for me? But then he does the right thing. He's honest. Yeah. Although when he had that, I was like, oh, that's a good idea, Ken. You, that, that would work. That would totally work. <laughs> you can milk this for a while. <laughs> yeah. But it is like at a certain point. So they go back to the school and they, I think Jessica intercepts Amy at the hospital and mentions it to her and Amy leaves. She's like, fuck this. <laughs> yeah. For, for someone who is that into him, uh, she bails just as quickly as, yeah. as this romance and began. And she has come to visit him at the hospital at some point and sent some letters. And Ken is, like, touched by that early on. Mm -hmm. But then he gets sent to this rehab facility for, like, a, a month. Mm -hmm. A month that gets totally elided in right. this book. It's like you turn a page to a new chapter. And it's like... A know, lot happens very yeah. quickly in this poor boy's life. Yeah. It's just a few weeks. At the end of the book... They talk about, oh, remember just a few weeks ago? I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't realize all this could happen in such a short span of time. He went to 
a, a school for the blind and learned how to, you know, live his life as a blind person. Yeah. He, he did get screwed a little bit. He did not get a dog. I feel like a seeing eye dog would have done wonders Aww. for poor Ken. Yeah. He could have had a buddy. But yeah, no, chapter nine starts after, like, the last thing that happened was that Terry went to visit Ken at the hospital and he was happy to see her and she cries at him because she feels so guilty. Amy has, like, full on confronted her, like, blaming her mm-hmm. for the accident as yeah. we as we mentioned earlier right. now so she's all sad she goes to the hospital and uh um or wait is that did that happen already that amy confronted her or was that yeah yeah it did so at the beginning of chapter nine ron jablonski yes which is <laughs> a fantastic name yeah yeah um when i'm naming characters i tend to give them last names like jablonski a lot because, of polish people yeah, in like, stuff yeah, yeah yeah everybody that when i was growing up those were the kind of last names people had where it's I a, lived. They, they roll off the tongue in a very in a very nice way yeah attitude is everything ron jablonski told ken if i keep saying that over and over again it's because i want to drill it into your head ken nodded he didn't know what ron looked like but he sure had learned to recognize his voice ron had been his counselor therapist and friend during the month ken had spent at hollyfield so it's like oh okay mm-hmm. he's been there for a month already now mm-hmm. oh i know i sorry i understand what i was confused before so terry doesn't come to visit ken at the hospital amy accosts terry terry wants to go visit ken and elizabeth is like you can't visit him because he's at this facility rehab facility for people who've become blind and you can't no one can visit him yeah not allowed no visitors but then does terry's the one that asks yeah she says hey do you mind working your sweet valley magic yeah she basically is like can you talk to his parents and tell them how important it is because she wants to apologize to ken for what she now feels is her fault Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so this blindness by the way shook me it really, it really did catch me by surprise. I did not think that that's where this story was going, and then I, it, it just went full, full into it. Uh-huh. This was a, a, a premise about <laughs> the what if the star football player became blind. Yeah, I just it took me, it took the book this long to figure out what it was about, and now we're into an interesting premise. Well, this is kind of a funny side effect of having you read the ebook mm-hmm. because on the physical copy on the back of the book the second paragraph starts, then one rainy night Ken is in a terrible car accident that leaves him blind. Yep, no, nope, didn't read that. <laughs> so. Didn't read that. This was truly a roller coaster. Ah. Well, roller coaster for Ken too because he is oh, poor Ken. when he's about it's about time for him to leave now. His month is up. And he goes into his room to kind of like pack things up. And he's got all these cards from students at Sweet Valley. Ron had read each one to Ken as it arrived, and he had reread them whenever Ken felt lonely. His favorite card was the homemade one from the football team. It was shaped like a football, and a shoelace was threaded through it. Ken ran his hand over all his friend's signatures. He could feel the impressions the pens had made in the paper. Remembering the guys on the team made tears come to Ken's eyes. It was funny. His eyes couldn't see anymore, but they sure were good at crying. In his whole life, Ken hadn't cried as much as he had in the last month. There were all kinds of cards from lots of different people. Mr. Collins, remember him? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Coach Schultz, Olivia Davidson, the Wakefields, Carol Walker. Amy had written two, but both of the letters had come a long time ago, in the first week. Ken knew them by the scented envelopes that were Amy's trademark. Her letters had been friendly, but there wasn't much to them beyond the same old, you'll be fine, that most people wrote. 
with a wave of his hand, Ken sent the cards flying to the door. Not one of these get well wishes had brought him any closer to seeing again. You know, so he's about to go back to Sweet Valley High, yeah. and he feels bad about it, understandably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then we get his first day at Sweet Valley High. But they mentioned later that he had gotten like a a private walkthrough to to yeah. learn the layout of the school because he's doing a lot of like step counting yeah. to like figure out his way around, and he has which a cane. makes sense. The yeah. step I had never thought about that. But it's it's clear that whoever wrote this book did the the very minimum amount of research into what happens when you go blind. Like, what are the things that they teach you immediately? It's like count your steps. That's that's where we're gonna start. Yeah. Hi, Marissa chiming in real quick. After listening back to this episode, I thought maybe it would be a good idea for me to actually look into this whole step counting thing. And lo and behold, I quickly uncovered many articles written by people who are blind referring to the idea that they count their steps as a popular misconception and that this is not really a recommended method for getting around because it's not particularly reliable. Uh, It's possible that this is something that has just changed in the course of the last 30 years in terms of the way that people are taught. But that's just me giving the ghostwriter the benefit of the doubt. I'll put some links in the show notes to what I uncovered. It seems to me like if there was a popular misconception, it might have been really easy for an author to just trade in that rather than doing the research. Anyway, I thought it was worth popping in to comment on after the fact rather than just deleting that whole part. Now back to the show. And just to call myself out here, like, if I had really been thinking about this, I probably could have tried to, to ask one of the people that I have met that is blind mm-hmm. and, to be the guest on this yep. book, but then you would have been deprived of reading this beautiful... I'll close my eyes if that helps. Okay, well, soon, um, that's what Terry's going to do. Because, so, Ken, I mean, just to, I guess, like, fast forward through it, Ken is having a really tough time in all of his classes, understandably. Winston, on the first day, is leading him around. Mm-hmm. Um, and has to, like, meet him, like, have to arrange to, like, meet each other between every class so that Winston can lead him to the next class. And I love the, the acknowledgement that he wasn't a great student to begin with, and now things are going to be way harder. Yeah. It's like he's recording his lectures, but then the teacher will say something like, open your books. And he's just like, damn it. Yeah. You know, he's still learning to read Braille. I passed a Braille Institute on the way over here, by the way. Really? Yeah. Well, on the way to the first location. (laughs) And then Amy, like, used to sit by him Mm -hmm. in one of these classes, and now she doesn't. He's like a leper. They're treating him like a leper. But then Terry goes to talk to him, and they actually have, like, a great conversation. Uh, It's really nice. I think that might be when he goes out by the football field on his own. He goes rogue. Right. Winston's supposed to meet him. Right. And that's when he overhears Scott Trost Mm -hmm. talking to some other football player. Mm -hmm. And he learns a couple things. That Scott is the new quarterback of the team. Yes. What else does he learn? Oh, that Amy and he are dating, right? Yeah, that Amy is like going after him hard. She's pursuing him hard. She has dropped Ken like a hot potato. Yeah, here's what it says. So were you going with her? such an old-timey way to say it. Going with. Yeah. yeah. Ken heard a distant voice say, a couple of guys seem to be heading back to school from the athletic fields. She's been after me to take her out, that's for sure, ever since coach made me quarterback. Oh my god, Amy's so transparent. (laughs) From his position on the bench, Ken tried to figure out who he was listening to. It sounded like Scott Trost, but whom was he talking about? I wonder if I'd be able to, to identify my friends just by their voice. I feel like I do a decent job, 
Yeah. It, I was, I think I was silently judging him. I'm like, you don't know who these people are. Yeah. Well, I don't, do they ever even say no? Oh, but this is a cool, this is the cool example of when we're in Ken's POV after he becomes blind, this is how it is. Mm-hmm. It's like, if he doesn't know who's talking, we don't know who's talking right. either, you right. know, and it sort of comes up as it becomes clear to Ken. You know, Amy, she's got to have somebody to go out with, another boy said. Ken was certain that the second guy was Skip Harmon. There you go. Ken's breath caught in his chest. Could they mean Amy Sutton? The only Amy that's ever been referenced? <laughs> yeah, right. Of course it's Amy Sutton. Yeah. So he feels like crap. But then Terry comes out and they start talking and he forgets, you know, the pain of his blindness for a little while. Uh-huh. When she starts basically nursing him back to to health, it's very like, what do they call Nightingale syndrome? Isn't that a thing? Uh, where you fall in love with your nurse? Yeah. Like Florence Nightingale? Yeah, I think that's a thing. I mean, there's Stockholm Syndrome, but that's when you fall in love with your kidnapper, so that's not what's happening. No, I think it's. I think there's a Nightingale reference I'm I'm remembering from, from something or some movie. And I caught that very early on. I'm like, this is not going to go well. I see where this, this conflict is going. What happens is that Terry... Like, the first thing is that Terry talks to him, but at some point in the conversation, he has this moment where he's like, oh, no, she is just talking to me out of pity. Like, I like this girl. I'd like to spend more time with her. But you know what? She wouldn't want to spend time with me. And he gets all sullen and runs away. And Terry takes this kind of personally. And so she calls Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. And that's when Elizabeth advises her to, you know, I read this weird thing in a magazine. This is kind of strange to try. But Terry has said, I wish I could understand what was going on inside of him. Mm-hmm. And Elizabeth recommends that Terry cover her eyes for a little while. Like, try to spend some time, like... Blind. Yeah. So this, on the face of it, seems a little silly, but the way that it's actually written about, I thought was pretty, like, surprisingly nuanced for Sweet Valley High. In, I, just as a side note, in a, in a Boy Meets World episode, I feel like this would lead to the character showing up to school, you know, with their eyes taped shut and sunglasses on and a, and a walking stick, trying to live the life of a blind person for a day to, to see uh-huh. how, how it is. And it would not go well there either, <laughs> but would be way funnier. Yeah. This is not played for comedy. (laughs) So Terry's walking around her house with a scarf over her eyes. Uh, I guess it must be a pretty thick scarf because otherwise that wouldn't do too much. Although your eyes are closed underneath the scarf. Right. The scarf is there to keep you honest. Yeah. So she's understanding that this is kind of scary, like to not really know where you're going. So she's relating to Ken on that level. The reality of blindness was turning out to be a lot harsher than Terry had ever imagined. It's kind of a strange choice of words, the reality. It's like, this isn't, that's not what this is, but okay, whatever. Every simple task she tried gave her a whole new sense of respect for how much Ken had already learned. He was really doing well at this. At school, he walked at a normal pace by himself. That alone was a major achievement. When she finally managed to get some juice into a glass, Terry found a chair next to the window and sank into it. A sweet, fragrant breeze blew in the kitchen. Terry took a sip of the juice, then stood up and walked over to the sliding glass door that opened onto the deck. The smooth glass felt cool to her fingertips, but standing at the window made her sad. Ken would never be able to look out a window again. Blindness had robbed him of even the simplest pleasures. Suddenly, a bird started chirping. The sound was startling. It stood out like a bright color against the darkness in her head. Standing at the window, she listened intently, drinking in the music. She must have heard those birds in the backyard every day of her life. But she had never really listened to them before, never realized how beautiful they sounded. 
Being blind was terrible, but it did have its compensations, Terry suddenly realized. She was hearing and touching things she had merely taken for granted before. Still, when she took off the blindfold a few minutes later, Terry was immensely relieved to have her eyesight back. Then a feeling of sadness overwhelmed her. She had only been blind for an hour. Ken might be blind for the rest of his life. Oh, which I guess we should say, the doctor has allowed some wiggle room that Ken might get his eyesight back. But don't don't count your chickens before yeah, they hatch. Yeah, and Ken is like, okay, I better not get my hopes up. Another instance in that passage of uh, Sweet Valley Kid drinking juice yeah. as their beverage of choice. I love that orange juice. Yeah, did not clean up the spilled juice. <laughs> no, we never saw that. And you know what? Terry takes this experience and turns it into like what feels like a very deep understanding of blindness blindness because suddenly now when she offers to hang out with ken and like she wants to take him to the beach and she she like kind of knows exactly what to say to him she She narrates mm -hmm, what's happening yeah i never thought about that but that was clever yeah it's like she's driving and she's like i'm not going on this street now i'm stopping at the stoplight then i'm gonna turn on this street because she felt like not knowing Mm -hmm. what was happening was part of what made it scary yeah and um, they get to the beach and he's sort of sad, like, oh, I used to come running on the beach. And she's like, you can run, you know, like, I'll be right here. Like, It's a private cove, basically. Yeah. It's not the Sweet Valley Beach. It's North Haven, which is just vacant. It's just a two mile you know, stretch one of, those of vacant beaches that between uh, like Newport and Santa Barbara, of which there are so many. You know, one of those. Um, uh, there are parts of the beach that are quieter than others. Sure. For sure. Sure. They spend a few days, like, she invites him to a football game, Mm -hmm. and he's a little bit iffy on it, but he goes and has a good time, right? It becomes a romance plot, but neither of them is acknowledging the romantic part of it. Yeah, and I was actually surprised when it came back to Ken at a certain point is like he's going to kiss her. Right. And then he's like, oh, no, she, there was nothing romantic between us. Like, she would hate that. And I was just like, oh, okay. I, didn't, I thought that they were like, had become an item, but I guess not. Yeah, for someone who's the star quarterback of the football team, his, his confidence is, is quite low. And I appreciate that perspective. You know, he's not super cocky. He's not, you know, overconfident and just, you know, assuming that everybody loves him. He's like, no, she must just be taking care of me and and I'm thinking too much about it. Yeah. And then once that realization comes, he now he has a whole new weird attitude towards Terry, which this is the book is winding down at this point, Mm -hmm. but he's like winding down and building towards what we hope is them getting together officially. This is like the part of the romance novel where the two characters are convinced that the other one is all wrong for them and that it can never work out. So uh, it's like the last hurdle. They both, they've fallen in love, but like they can't confess their love to each other for reasons inside their own mind. So Ken is like simultaneously reliant on Terry for every little thing to the point that he is not doing things on his own as much as he should be. Mm -hmm. And also, he's kind of, like, being a dick to her because it's, like, if he's friendly to her, it'll only be making him feel his love for her more. He's keeping it very professional. He's treating her like an employee, I feel like. There's a distance that he's forcing by his behavior. Yeah. I felt felt like for a book and a series that seems very broad and soapy, this was 
accurate, I think, to a certain extent and, and nuanced in the way that pe- people behave. <laughs> well, there was one part. So when Terry eventually calls Elizabeth again mm-hmm. and uh, one, like for the, at least the third time in this book, you know, Elizabeth to the rescue, like help advise me. Um, she, she calls and she kind of tells Liz that he's kind of been a jerk lately and Liz is like, have you ever told him how you felt? Because, like, everybody else knows that Terry has a crush on Ken and has, like, all year. Elizabeth says, Terry, when you see him today, why don't you tell Ken how you feel about him? Elizabeth suggested. That might make things easier between you. You'll know one way or the other if he's interested in you. You know, as a girlfriend. Terry let out a little laugh. I'll try, but I don't think I want to know the answer. And that was just like, oh, it was such a gut punch because yeah. I have been Terry like so many times in yeah. high school and beyond, you know, this thing of like, well, I get to spend all this time with this person that I have strong feelings for. Right. Like, maybe it'll just like work itself out. But <laughs> what's happening with Terry, I don't know if this ever happened in one of the situations for me, but, you know, is that Ken actually does have feelings for her, mm-hmm. but he has his own reasons for not voicing They're them. both doing the same thing. Yeah. To, to the situation. So there's a big fight that they have the next time they see each other. At this. the droids concert? Is no, one? the droid. they do go to the droids concert, but that's where Terry is kind of like, he's been kind of a dick lately. Are the droids uh, a recurring yes. band? Okay. Usually referred to as Sweet Valley High's own rock band. They're great. That's a great name. It is a good I name. I mean, yeah. I assume that, that they're a great band and I would enjoy I think so too. Yeah. yeah, I wish I wish they were real. Is, is it... Do you think it's a Star Wars-y thing? Like, we're in the 80s, there's a band, it's like, oh, like the droids. I hope so. Okay. I think it's gotta well, be. Um, I like that. Do you have your book handy? Um, I Yeah, I do. Do you want to read, do a dramatic reading of sure. this fight with me? Yeah. Is that too intense? No, not at all. Let me bring it up. This will be our first time probably acting together since grad school. <gasps> really? Did we not do one of these on my previous episode? Oh, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) I haven't listened to it in a while. When I introduced you, I said your full name, but I didn't say a single thing about you. No, I like the mystery of it. (laughs) But what, so what gladiators may or may not know is that Will is a director, a Uh film director, and also other things, and writer. And so, you know, you can tell me about my performance. I could take it. Oh, no. No, no. This would be great. Ken, spending time with you was my idea. You know that. But... I can't go on like this forever. I've got my own homework to take care of, too. I'm sure you do. Ken! I'm not saying I don't want to see you anymore. Aren't you? It was fun to play Candy Striper for a while, but now you're sick of it. I understand perfectly. That's not true! I only want to help you, Ken. Look, Terry, you're not blind. You can't help me because you have no idea what it's like. So why don't you just get out of here like everyone else? Terry stood up, ready to run out, but she couldn't let him have the last word. She had to tell him how she felt about him. You're right. I don't know what it's like to be blind, but I do know it's not the end of the world, Ken. Plenty of blind people have accomplished great things, and you can too if you stop sitting back and feeling sorry for yourself, letting other people do everything for you. I said get out of here. Terry stormed through the open doorway, then spun around to face him, tears streaming down her face. All right. I see now that you've been taking advantage of me this whole time. Oh, you like it when I help you out and do things for you. It's fine with you that I make you feel good about yourself. But did you ever stop once to consider how I feel? Why in the world did you think I was doing all these things for you anyway? Because I love you, that's why. And if you never noticed that, you're even blinder than you think. All right, we'll go for another take. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) 
we should have uh, your wife come out and give it. She's literally <laughs> currently teaching an acting class. So <laughs> this is true. This is true. But uh, yeah, it's really dramatic, and it's just like. <gasps> Ken and Ken runs you, the chapter closes. Where um, are they when this happens? At Ken's house. Ken's house. Okay. Um. So Terry turned and ran down the front sidewalk to her car. She heard Ken calling her name, but she didn't stop. So Ken's like calling after her. You know, he, he's it's been a big revelation, and he's just like, oh my gosh, you know. So what does Ken do? He yells, Terry, Terry. I mean, that's the beginning of the <laughs> yeah, next right. chapter. <laughs> yeah. It's a it's a it's a direct pickup. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he calls her house yes after well, he cr- like sits on the porch and like mopes for 15 minutes it goes into i think what we can admit is a classic rom-com ending you know where he yeah. resolves his his inner flaw and does a big romantic gesture something that's very difficult for him which in this case is doing things without her so he figures out a way to um well he first realizes she's not home i know where she is she must be at the beach so he rejects everyone's offers to give him a ride to the beach and says he's going to do it on his own he storms out of his house gets to the bus stop gets on the bus sweet valley has buses oh right (laughs) buses that no one would ever take there's no reason to ever take the bus so the bus driver is really nice he gets to the beach, he gets off, he counts his steps, he, he you know. He knows that's where she is. And yeah. he knows the beach really well because right. he spent so much time with her there. But it feels like this, like, epic, long, yeah. you know. like It seems I, like it must have been really hard. Yes. He has to, like, ask people, strangers, for advice. Like, you know, is this the bus stop? And bus driver, can you tell me? Like, things that, I mean, we've probably seen, I mean, living in the city, like, you see people that are navigating the world like this who are blind yeah. all the time, you know. it happened In Chicago recently, there was a, a guy getting off the metro rail who myself and several other people were kind of like telling him where the stairs were and think you know helping him go the right way and i just remember thinking this must be his whole day yeah like because he's this is clearly a guy who's like brave enough to risk you know walking down a train platform and not knowing where the stairs are i mean i don't know what his story was but i was just thinking like wow that must be like on the one hand, I don't want to like he's he's out there living his life, so right. I don't want to treat him with like pity. But on the other hand, like ooh, that would be so hard to have to navigate the world that way, especially in a new situation, mm-hmm. right? With nobody to like lead you around. But I could hear the music, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. It felt like the end of a movie, and oh, they run sure. into each other's arms, and at the setting, they're back at the beach, which is the place that began their relationship. Yeah, it was very it was very nice. The one thing I will say is that I I wish that he didn't get his sight back. Well, yeah. And so what happens is that there's a big romantic moment at the end, and it goes like this. Suddenly, his lips met hers in a warm, passionate kiss. Standing on the beach, the wind tousling their hair and the waves crashing around them, their kiss said more than all the words in the world could ever say. This is very Princess Bride. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For the first time, Terry didn't have any doubts about the way Ken was feeling. Terry, you're too good for me, he whispered in her ear when the kiss was over. We're good together, Ken, she replied, resting her head on his chest. You're right, and we're going to be even better, he said, squeezing her waist. Ken, she said excitedly, the sunset is so beautiful, I wish you could see it. The sky is light pink and the sun is gold like it's on fire. Ken removed his sunglasses and turned his face toward the ocean. Are there clouds, he asked. Only a few, she answered. The sun's over this way, right, he asked, pointing. Yes, Terry answered, her voice quivering. How did you know that? Because I can feel its warmth, Ken answered. But 
You know what, Terry? When I look that way, there's a brightness, a definite brightness. And then a second later, he's like, I don't see it anymore. And she's like, Ken, the sun went down. <laughs> and so it's like, your vision is coming back, you know. So that's like basically the end of the book. Like yeah. he doesn't get his vision back, but it's like he's going to get his vision back. Which, I mean, when the doctor said he might get his vision back, I was like, okay. So they're going to have Ken be blind for like a book or two. And then that's what happens in these books. People are differently abled for like a couple books. And then they get a taste get of fixed. it. Yeah. yeah. It, it's almost... <sighs> It's almost like he's been rewarded. You know, in the same way that that he was punished unfairly, he is also rewarded unfairly. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there, there's a balance to this universe for sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And then we don't really know in the epilogue, the final chapter, uh, if he's still blind or not, do we? Like, no, he's like not even in that chapter. They're running. It's all about Patty Gilbert and Dee Dee Gordon. And it's about setting up the next book, I assume. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, maybe he's, he can see again, or maybe they're, they've established that the two of them run when he can't see. So, yeah. you know, well, I guess find out next season on Sweet Valley Diaries. I guess. Would you care to tease the next book, which will be the, premiere of season seven of sweet valley diaries sure it it sounds like there's something malicious going on i don't i it seems a little dark patty so patty gilbert gladiators if you don't remember her she is a friend of dd gordon's and in some of the dd books or like bill and dd books she factors in but this is definitely going to be her first time in her boyfriend is off at college yeah his name is jim jim is coming back this weekend and they haven't seen each other in a while and she's really nervous patty's really nervous she wants it all to be perfect when her boyfriend comes back. She seems to think that maybe he's, like, cheating on her yeah, in and, college. Yeah, and Dee Dee seems... I read this as Dee Dee's the one he's cheating with. Oh, that would be quite a Dee scandal. Dee Dee seems to know way too much. And she's withholding, is Yeah, how she's I like, I wouldn't worry about it. I wouldn't worry about Jim. I'm sure he's off doing wonderful things for you. And, like, right. planning a great... Right, a and great it sounds like total garbage. Yeah. Dee Dee, I see straight through you. <laughs> well, do you have the, the part about... Coming next month as well. Yes. Would you read the whole thing? The gladiators are going to be pretty excited. Sure, sure. Okay. Will everything work out between Patty and Jim? Find out in Sweet Valley High number 61, Boy Trouble. And then there's another one coming next month. The first Sweet Valley High Superstar Edition. Lila's story. As if that's what we wanted. <laughs> Lila, who's been a terror in this book. It's like, you know what I want? A whole spinoff. Superstar Lila. Yeah. We didn't even tell them about the scene with the cake and all the people. It's- the world's largest cake. There's this moment with the cake where they like are having a welcome back to school party that Elizabeth and Enid have like arranged for Ken. And... um there's this big, a big, a, a huge rectangular box containing a sheet cake that read, Welcome Home, Ken. Poor Ken, Jessica said with a shake of her head. He won't even be able to read the cake. <laughs> Jessica, Elizabeth replied impatiently, Ken doesn't need people feeling sorry for him. The cake will taste just as good, even if he can't read it. Besides, it's really to show him that we're happy he's back. And then Jessica says, Liz, are you really happy he's back? She's just like, it's so sad. Like it's And, and Elizabeth Ugh. is pissed off at Jessica, but she's like, at least she's being honest about how she feels as opposed to like... Amy, who never apologizes to Ken or says anything about Scott Trost to Ken. Mm -hmm. But there's this other moment that I thought was hilarious, uh, also around the cake, just the next page. I think 
this whole cake idea is stupid, Lila Fowler complained when they found her at the locker, adjusting a tortoiseshell barrette in her long, light brown hair. I mean, how's he even gonna know there's a cake for him? We're all gonna yell surprise, and then we'll tell him. That's how, Enid answered. I love that. Lila gave a bored shrug. All right, she said, I'll be there, even though he won't know if I am or not. <laughs> this was my favorite part of the whole book. I can't believe that I didn't bring it up because that scene was everything to me. Well, the next sentence says, Enid looked as though she was about to punch Lila. Yes. So Elizabeth took her friend by the hand and gently guided her down the hall. And and then when they had the cake scene, that's when everybody's like, hey, it's me, Erin Dallas. And Winston mm -hmm. says like, hey, Amy, aren't you going to say something? <laughs> so, you know. I, the cake the cake scene was really special. <laughs> and that that was, I think, intentionally funny. And we were rallying around Lila being awful. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I think we were allowed to laugh at the, the idea that, that a cake is to be read. You know, a cake yeah. is not to be read. It right. is to be eaten. But then the idea of... Will he even know there's a cake here? Like we could tell him there's a pony. Like there is. We could tell him there. You know. Yeah. Who was a, a popular football player at the time that he would look up to? O.J. Simpson. We got O.J. Simpson to come here and you know yeah. participate in your cake mm -hmm. ceremony. <laughs> like O.J. say something. Oh, he's he's making us feel like talking. He's, he's eating oh, cake right gosh, now. Oh my gosh, that's awful. <laughs> Um, but that does seem like where Lila's head is at. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, tell me this, Will. Having read this book, is there a character that you relate to in particular? <sighs> I feel like I shouldn't say Skip, but... Uh... <laughs> or maybe Ron Jablonski? Ron Jablonski gets totally shafted because we never know what he looks like. I know! We never or how revisit. old he is! I, I pictured that Ron Jablonski is just the generic name that all the workers... <laughs> At this facility get because, you know, it's everyone deserves a Ron Jablonski to help their rehab process. But there's just not enough Ron Jablonskis. That's true. Um, there is a moment toward the very end of the book, like in the last chapter. Did you hear that Ken's sight is starting to come back? Patty asked absently. I didn't say that very absently, but uh, did you hear that Ken's sight is starting to come back? Better, <laughs> she asked better. absently. Yes, isn't that great? Dee Dee answered. Someone should make a movie out of his story. Maybe they could even film it at Sweet Valley High. We could all be extras. Wouldn't that be terrific? So I think that in next week's extra drama episode, you and I should think about this movie. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's not the the only time that a, like a movie is referenced because early on with Skip, he looks at himself in the mirror as if he's looking into a movie camera. So there is this idea that these kids are kind of self-absorbed yeah. and, and picture their lives as if they're interesting enough to be in movies. Yeah, and, But their proximity to Los Angeles can explain away all of that. It's true. It's true. And I mean, high school is kind of like that, right? Like yeah. you just think of yourself through that lens. I certainly did. I don't know if I did, but looking, really? looking back, no, I don't know if anything that exciting happened that I thought it should be. Uh, I movie. guess not. Well, we can save all this for the, for okay. the bonus episode. In the meantime, gladiators, thank you so much for listening. I'm so excited about next season, but we can get into all of that in the next episode. Um, thank you for listening and for telling your friends. And remember that you can email me at sweetvalleydiaries at me.com or find me on Instagram at sweetvalleydiaries. Uh, the website is sweetvalleydiaries.net. Do you have anything you want to plug, Will? No. Well, I mean, we have a movie that is theoretically coming yeah. out in the next you know, no calendar deal. year. If it happens to come to a film festival, 
near you keep an eye out it's called the mirror game and we're pretty excited about it called the mirror game yeah so surprise twist ending gladiators well taya was on the podcast earlier this season i don't know if we do we have a title for the movie at that point we didn't we didn't keep an eye out marissa wrote it i wrote it i directed it taya's in it you better love it Uh, i mean you better believe that i'm going to tell you more about it when it is coming to theaters near you (laughs) should that happen or if it's on streaming at some point which should also happen all right, we'll see you next time. And I have some advice that I actually wrote down in advance this time. The cake tastes just as good, even if you can't read it. That's great. I, you could have a bumper sticker that says, honk if you love reading cakes. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. We are recording. Oh, man. Okay. The pressure. There's no pressure. (laughs) Okay. Welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries, the podcast where it's just like... Oh, wait, no, that's not what I was going to (laughs) say. Sorry. I usually... Sometimes I say the podcast and sometimes I don't. This time I don't want to say it. it. Oh, this will go at the end. I always... Gotta save... Gotta have at least one flubbed put at the end. Yeah.